Welcome, one and all, to episode number one of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, and alongside me is my good friend, Eric Lopez. Eric, how are you, brother? I am doing good. We'll see if we're still friends by the end of this project of podcast that we end up doing throughout the fall and the spring. Are you kidding me? Like we, We've known each other now for how long? Like 13 years? Yeah, been that long. You're and, right, uh, and you know, nothing, nothing can break us up. We're like, you know, we're we're, we're basically we're basically in a common law marriage right now. Yeah, doesn't mean we won't yell at each other at some point and argue, yeah, but I'm sure. Yeah. All right, yeah, so right. so first of all, thanks to everybody for listening to this new venture that we're starting on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com. I am, of course, the managing editor, publisher, grand poobah, whatever you want to call it, of this new site that we're doing, and it is. A new project that uh, we are starting out. It, it, I plan on it being an independent voice of, by, and for UCF night fans. We're going to cover not just the big sports. We're going to cover every sport. Uh, this is a big year for UCF in 2016, as you guys all know. Um, if you are not following us, make sure you do. It's blackandgoldbanneret.com. And banneret is spelled B-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. Trust me, you'll get used to it. It's the word banner with an E-T at the end. And Eric Lopez, trivia question for you. Do you know what a banneret is? I will plead guilty and say no. <laughs> a, a All you medieval fans are going to like this. A knight banneret was a knight who, in medieval times, fought under his own coat of arms, his own banner. So he was like an independent guy. So... Which, which is different from a knight bachelor who was basically a mercenary who was a knight who fought for someone else, a nobleman or something. So we are the banneret because we are independent and we fight for ourselves. And um, and also kind of, you know, I used to work in northern Georgia where we had the Athens Banner Herald, so it's kind of like a media name sort of. So anyway, that was the whole goal behind that. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, and you can also hit us up on Facebook. Just search Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. All the links, will, it's all over the place, so there's literally no way you can't get in touch with us. So, uh, like I said, I'm the managing editor and publisher. I'll be doing a lot of coverage of a lot of stuff, just like I did for Sports Talk Florida back in the day, just like I did when I worked in the athletic department, in the video department for a couple years back in the day when I was doing UCF Sports Night, which was an all-sports half-hour weekly magazine show. I developed, I got such good relationships, even going back to when I was a student, to uh, not just uh, folks in the big programs like you know football and basketball, but uh, folks like Coach Dagenet in volleyball, the soccer coaches, the golf coaches, uh, the tennis coaches, everything. So this is a big year for UCF and all those sports with an, in a new era under new athletic director Danny White, and we're going to be there for all the big stories. And uh, I'm lucky enough to bring along my longtime veteran compadre, Eric Lopez. Lopez, update everyone on what you're doing now. Well, you know, I've been calling UCF softball uh, since 2007. Been calling all the games on the broadcast on UCFnights.com. Been doing it for longer than that, I'll tell you that. It's been it's been a while. Yeah. So seven was my first full year. That was uh, it was uh, and, and I've not looked back. They haven't uh, kicked me out thankfully. And but I've also covered all the other UCF sports, not just football, but basketball, baseball, soccer, and uh, of course now I'm involved producing Tuck and O'Neill uh, weekdays on Sports Talk 1080 with of course the sideline reporter for UCF football, Jerry O'Neill. So 
basically, the point is I'm around UCF all the time and uh, from a student now to covering it in media. So, uh, and that's the fun thing I'm excited about this is obviously we'll talk a lot of UCF football in this, but we're not going to ignore the other UCF sports because let's be honest, Jeff, uh, the, a lot of the UCF sports have been very successful and among the best in the country. Yes, and they deserve attention, and by God, we're going to get it to them. Um, one of the things that uh, – and also, by the way, UCF alum, Mike Tuck as well, right? He's That's right. He's an alumnus. He's an alum, yes. We are UCF alumni. I'm class of 2005. Eric, you're class of 2006, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was a while. I, I stayed there a while. Let's just leave and, it at that. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, we've been, you know, we've been following everything at UCF. You guys all know how tight we've been with a lot of these pro- these programs for years. So um, this is an exciting new venture. Um, I started up the website right after, right around the time actually that the coaching search began for uh, that eventually ended up with Scott Frost being named the head football coach, uh, replacing George O'Leary after last year's dreadful 0-12 season. So um, what we're going to do this, you know, for leading up until football season, this is going to be a weekly podcast. We're hoping to get it out uh, early in the, uh, or rather late in the week, like Thursday mornings. So be aware of it. You can, uh, on Thursday mornings, because we want to, you know, kind of wrap up things from the week before, but we want to really preview the week ahead for a lot of uh, UCF events, because Action always gets started uh, on you know around Thursday, leading into the weekend. So make sure you there's three different platforms where you can get the podcast. If you are uh, if you have an Apple iTunes account, you can subscribe to us via iTunes. Uh, If you access your podcasts through Stitcher, which is an excellent program, which is an excellent um, platform for uh, podcast distribution, you can get us on Stitcher, and you can just today, Lopez, I got us approved for Google Play. Google Play Store. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, subscribe to us, give us a good rating, tell us how much you love listening about UCF stuff. If we screw something up, make sure you tell us that too, um, and follow us on the website all over the place. So uh, you can oh you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. That's Jeff underscore Sharon. And Lopez, where are you? Eric Lopez Elo there. Keep the positives to me. Any negatives, just send it to Jeff. Yeah, I got a thick skin, so send your hate mail this way so I can just make fun of you. <laughs> oh, they will. Don't worry. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and um, and get cranking here. So we are right, a couple things coming up. In our first few shows, we're going to have some coaching interviews starting next week. Uh, I'm working on uh, Tiffany Roberts-Sahedak, our uh, women's soccer coach. Um, we're going to be working on Brian Cunningham, the men's soccer coach in a couple weeks. And then also, um, Todd Tagine, the uh, head volleyball coach, uh, as well. We have him on tap. So we're going to do individual shows with each of them. All right. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. We're, we've almost got them finalized. I just got to finalize them with the, uh, with the folks over at UCF. And I w- and by the way, I want to thank, um, all the, uh, guys and gals over at the UCF, um, athletics communications department um they have the hardest job in sports if you ask me which is handling all the media requests for a major division one athletic program uh they're the ones who write all the releases they're the ones who do all the social media they're the ones who set up all the interviews and handle the coaches and they and they balance so many different plates um if you ever see any of these folks make sure you thank them because they do a great job for us and we want to thank them for the hard work that they have always done 
for us. Uh, Andy Seely all the way down. The the decorated Andy Seely, by the way, who wanna who uh, who's uh, in charge of Cosida, I think now is is that true? Yes, sounds about right. Yeah, so sounds we're really right. so. By the way, congratulations to Andy on that honor. Tremendous honor, and it's well deserved. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and talk about what we want to talk about. So we're gonna have the coaches next week, and so for this show, what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna go over a uh, just what we think are the big stories coming out of the summer. Now, things are gonna develop, as we all know. Football, as of as of this recording, football practice starts. We're recording this on a Thursday night, August fourth. Uh, football practice starts tomorrow. Scott Frost's first official uh, fall practice uh, for UCF, uh, and he's not the only one. To me, the the big story has been just the giant reset button, Eric Lopez, that uh, athletic director Danny White has pressed with the UCF athletic program. Uh, new football coach and Scott Frost, two new basketball coaches, two new tennis coaches, new baseball coach. Um, he has very quickly in, what, about eight months, uh, definitely made an impression on UCF's athletic department, hasn't he? <laughs> That's an understatement. I mean, it's all new. I mean, uh, we it, it's all brand new. I mean, it's I mean, it's funny, Jeff. When we go campus to all these sports, we're going to see a lot of new faces, and uh, it it's going to be a new era. And I think Danny White, and I, you know, it's not a surprise he did similar things at Buffalo. Oh yeah, but he he's determined to make this a top twenty five. Uh, athletic department and, and what he means is top 25 in every sport he believes they can win in every sport and i think that's what i've enjoyed uh, from danny white is he's the type that's going to give every sport the opportunity and the resources and help them what they need to get and be successful uh but he wants results and i think you're you're seeing that and and certainly uh very aggressive has a vision and i i think he's certainly in the right direction you know, I always get worried uh, when people say, oh, this guy set the tone with this. Like, well, I don't know what that tone is. But he really did set the tone, for lack of a better term, when he hired Scott Frost uh, last December. And we have seen, just with some of the little things, a virtually clean break with the George O'Leary era at UCF. Just a couple of examples. Uh, UCF is going to be hosting the Florida Cup Soccer Tournament at Bright House Network Stadium in 2017. There's no way in hell that George O'Leary would have allowed any sport other than UCF football to be played inside Bright House Network Stadium. And that's a clear indication that Danny White is saying, look, we're trying to uh, show off our facilities, our campus as best we can. If this, if ho- hosting the Florida Cup soccer tournament helps us out here at Bright House Network Stadium, then so be it. And he's also gotten buy-in from Scott Frost, who I'm sure you know cleared it with him and said, "All right, no problem. Yeah, go ahead and host it there. That's fine." Um, another example: for the first time, I didn't realize this. For the first time since we were students, Eric Lopez, a UCF football player will wear the jersey number one. It's a freshman running back by the name of Jawan Hamilton. He's from Homestead, Florida. Went to South Dade High School. That's not significant. The fact that anyone is wearing the jersey number one is significant because George O'Leary 
his policy was, I'm never going to have a player wear the number one, ever, period, because it's the number one and no one is number one. Um, what other things have you noticed that have kind of been similar to that? Wow. Well, I mean, how about the fact that UCF just announced they're going to have concerts at I the know. home game? Jim Blossom, right? You guys Jim Blossoms are coming to, on the yeah, right before the September third game. They announced the Holy UCF Castro. football concert series. I don't believe that would have happened, obviously, under the previous regime right. with Coach O'Leary. I don't think that was uh, it was all about the football. I mean, you saw that in the spring game was moving to a night game instead of a day game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jerseys, everybody's well documented about the jerseys and the new look and the fact that the names are going to be in the back of the jerseys where it yep. wasn't before. So. Uh, look, I mean, but that's nothing. I mean, it's not a surprise. Usually, you go something different from the previous coach, and I don't think it's a it's a it's a slight on O'Leary at all. It's just you're going in a different direction, and I think they understand that you know you've got to sell yourself. You've got uh, how do you get the casual person to come and watch your product? And I think that that's something that I think Danny White sees. And is you know what we got to do some things that'll get the casual person to pay attention to our product, and whether it be concerts, whether it be new jerseys, the new scoreboard in this football stadium. That's so, right, I forgot the new uh, video board that they started installing this week. Yeah, so you know it's obviously about entertainment, it's about the product, and uh, look, I mean that's we got to do that now in today's day and age. I mean, there's a lot of competition. It's a lot of competition uh, in locally. Uh, with you know Orlando City, the Magic, uh, even in college, the Florida and Florida State Athletics. I know you, you know UCF fans don't like to hear it, but they are competition. You know because Florida and Florida State. I I've always believed that Florida and Florida State usually does take away some of the, the casual fan. You know, for example, if UCF's got a game on the same night that Florida State is playing Miami, that's going to take some of your business. If Florida's playing Georgia, I know people that usually go to UCF games that skip the UCF game if it's head-to-head against Florida-Georgia because they want to experience the game in Jacksonville and stuff like that. So um, there's just a lot of entertainment. We haven't even discussed all the entertainment options that's out there now. So uh, you got to be creative. You got to do some different things. I think that's always good to be thinking outside the box and – uh, it'll be interesting to see what works and what doesn't. I, I the thing that I think you have to be is because you're in a market. Let's let's face it. Go look at the TV ratings if you don't believe me. We're splitting this market with Gainesville, right? Even though UCF is here, um, the TV ratings don't lie. You know, UF constantly outrates UCF. Well, in Florida State, I mean, throw it. Yeah, in Florida State, State, but but. You know, to a greater extent, it's Florida, right? So you have to be kind of this shiny new object. Uh, and UCF, I think, has finally, finally gotten somebody on board who recognizes that uh, in both Scott Frost and Danny White. And now I'm interested to see how that filters down to the um, to the other sports uh, as well. So it, the new car smell is back at UCF, isn't it, Lopez? It is. Now, having said all that, they still got to produce on the field. True. So you could come up with all this stuff and outside of it, but the product still comes down to, is it a winning product? Is it a product that people want to see? Because as we saw last year, Jeff, holy macro, when that thing is bad at 0-12, nobody wants this. I don't care what jerseys you're wearing. I don't care what concerts you're doing. If you go 0-12, nobody's going to watch that. And, you know, it's rightfully so. It's a bad product right. last year. But I, but I uh, think that like, it was also it wasn't just, it, it wasn't to me 
I don't know how you feel about this. I want to see how you... Now that we have the benefit of some time distance, right? I still feel that this was a talented team that got caught up in Murphy's Law. Everything that could have gone wrong did. Justin Holman got hurt. Will Stanback lost his mind and left the team. Uh, Jordan Aikens got hurt. George O'Leary was splitting his time between running the athletic department and being and being the head football coach. Brent Key as the offensive coordinator did not work out um, because Charlie Taff retired. Um, and then you lose some early games, and in the fashion that they did, down towards the end of the game, um, and they just some of those games late in the season, you just watch the team quit as soon as something bad happened. I think that the most the the most difficult part of what Scott Frost has to do is overcome the, his team's, for lack of a better term, PTSD from that season uh, and get them to love to play football again. And, I, and he said that that was one of his goals, to get these guys to enjoy playing football again. And... Uh, and and we'll see and we'll see if that works. I agree that I think Murphy's you know Murphy's law everything that could go bad went bad. I do think that Scott Frost's challenge and he mentioned this in the spring was about enjoying football again. That's why he was playing music at practice in the spring, and I think he's trying to get them psychologically to be back in football. So I do agree with them most of that. That being said, I also think though there are some. Uh, questions within the roster. And we talked about this even before the season last year, and it talked about it for the last two years. And that is the offensive line really was not very good for UCF the last two years. And, you know, going into this year, now it's a new system. Will this offensive line get any better? That remains to be seen. Um, well, I think it's going to be a much different situation with the offensive line, though, because, you know, and this is part of the reason why I think they're going to enjoy playing this year is Frost brings that Oregon offense where when you're an offensive lineman, you don't have to block for very long. No, but are they athletic enough to what he wants? This is not his players. They they weren't brought in here to play that type of system. So who fits into that? Who doesn't remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, they were young on defense. They were young in, in some of the skill position. And yeah, you're right. Everything went bad. And remember, this team had a reduction of scholarship. So they weren't as deep as maybe other teams. So they couldn't afford a lot of injuries, and they did. And I think there was also a combination of, you know, George O'Leary and UCF. I think once they won the Fiesta Bowl, I think they felt, eh, we can develop these kids. Uh, And, you know, maybe they whiffed on a few guys too. So, you know, a combination of all that, and you have what you do at 0-12. I I don't think anybody expects it to be that bad again this season. But – Again, it's all about psychological, and it's about getting that first win. And, you know, I know everybody just assumes they're going to win the first home game, but we lost to a 1AA team last year. I know it's an FCS school, but I'm always going to call it 1AA. Um, you know, in Furman last year in South Carolina State, uh, you know, let's see how they look in that first one and get some confidence psychologically. I do agree with you, though. It, a lot of it is mental. They do have athletes there. I, you know, we, we spend so much time about recruiting and all this usually you get material and uh you i think you're right ucf has some material they just got to put them in the best position to succeed but i still think it is a transition year they're implementing a new system and let's be honest there's a lot of guys on that roster that were not brought in here to play the spread they were here to play a process so i think there's gonna be some weeding out and that's why i think you're gonna see a lot of freshmen i think contribute this year 
Yeah, it's going to be bumpy, I think, certainly with that offense. And I think also people forget that, you know, even if the offense is doing well, it might be pretty bumpy with the defense, too, because they're going to be out there for a lot of for a lot of plays. Um, if, you know, if this Oregon offense works the way it's supposed to, where you don't have a lot of time of possession. I will say this. People have asked me this summer, hey, do you think UCF is going to be good or bad? I don't know. I think they're going to be interesting, though. And I'm not ruling out sneaking into a bowl, are you? No, but I mean, I don't, I mean, I mean, anybody can make a bowl game. I mean, you could go six well, and six, five and seven and make a bowl. Well, we so, didn't I mean, last year. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not one that gets all caught up in whether they make bowls or not. Yeah, I mean, they could make a bowl. I mean, that's not crazy. We've seen that turnaround. Heck, I mean, we both were, were there when UCF did the greatest turnaround from oh and a million in 2004 to all of a sudden have this magical year where they win the Eastern Division and Conference USA in 05 and they get to their first ever bowl game in Hawaii. So, I mean, we've seen it turn it around. It's not, you know, and one of the things that they'll be in an advantage is there are no expectations. They were picked last in the conference. Uh, so I think low expectations, usually it's, it's easy to kind of overcome that and you pick up a couple wins at home. That's the big thing. Win some home games. And I think this team will be okay. And you hope that some young guys kind of develop as the year goes on and get ready for 2017. I think that's a better barometer of Coach Frost and what he will have here at UCF, I think, is 2017. I think 2016, like we've seen at every place, there is an adjustment period. The soft tyranny of low expectations. Um, I I actually – I got to give credit to our buddy Ryan Bass uh, down at CBS for this. Um, because he actually went back and looked at the uh, winless teams in FBS since, I think, the year 2000. And the 2005 UCF team coming off that 0-11 year in O'Leary's first season was the one that actually put together, since then, the best follow-up season to a winless year in FBS. Everyone else has kind of gone, but, you know, hovered around 500. Um, I, th- I, I, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and check with Ryan. I can't remember if anyone's made a bowl game, but... Um, but you know, yes, there's precedent if you're UCF, but the odds are not in your favor, but it'll be interesting. Now, Scott Frost, um, not the only new head coach who's going to be walking around campus this year. Um, Johnny Dawkins, the former national player of the year when he was at Duke, played under coach K had a lengthy NBA career, played a decade in the NBA was, a uh, was with the Philadelphia 76ers, San Antonio Spurs is a new head basketball coach. Um, he comes over after he was the head coach at uh, Stanford uh, for a long time, I think eight years. Um, won the NIT twice, but only made the NCAA tournament once. Um, and is, uh, but you know, and now is in a different situation um, at UCF, and he's going to be the new head men's basketball coach. Kate Abramson Henderson, who I'm really excited about, is the new women's basketball coach coming down from U uh, Albany. Uh, where she uh, where she led the Great Danes to nine America East Conference tournament and regular season championships, five twenty win seasons en route to five consecutive NCAA appearances. She comes to UCF to coach the women's basketball team, taking over for Joy Williams. Uh, we got a new ten- the tennis program has gone a major overhaul. <laughs> Um, John Roddick, if that name sounds familiar in tennis circles, it should. He's Andy Roddick's brother. He comes over to take over as the director of tennis. 
uh, from Oklahoma, where he made the NCAA Finals last year. Uh, Roddick will also coach the men's team. Uh, and he just recently hired uh, uh, a uh, head coach for the women's team, uh, Brian Co- Brian Canico, to be the head coach of the women's team. But John Roddick will be the director of tennis, sort of overseeing both the men's and the uh, women's programs. And we have a new baseball coach um, this year as well. Uh, as uh, we bid, uh, as UCF, sort of in a, what I thought was an unusual situation, bid farewell to. Terry Rooney, um, who decided to, at least the way it looked on the outside, I'd be interested to do more reporting on this, the way it looked on the outside was he resigned his position at UCF to take an assistant coaching position at the University of Alabama back in the SEC, where uh, Rooney was before he came to UCF. He was at LSU prior to that. Greg Lovelady comes in as the new uh, head coach for UCF baseball. Uh, Lovelady had uh, seen uh, considerable success at uh, Wright State, uh, 124-56 and 56 record over uh, 12 years, and uh, uh, or, in, or, in th- or rather in, in three seasons as the head coach. He'd been at Wright State for 12 seasons, won the Horizon League uh, in each of his three years uh, at the helm, either regular season or tournament championship. So this guy knows what he's doing as well. So like I said, a lot well, of new faces at UCF, and, 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 and who are you most excited lot, about? Uh, well, uh, let me pick this. Uh, Lovelady, I think a lot of college baseball fans would recognize him more as being the catcher for the Miami Hurricanes when they won the national title in 99 and in 2001 under Jim mm-hmm. Morris. So uh, let me start with him and that whole Rooney thing. I think the Rooney situation, look, UCF hadn't made the NCAA tournament in four seasons in a row. Uh, which in this state is not good, and things haven't worked out for Coach Rooney and Terry since 2012 when they got to the regional final, and Coral Gables were one win away from a super regional and a matchup with LSU, and they lost to Stony Brook, and they haven't been the same since, and Cliff Godwin is now at head coach at East Carolina, was the former right-hand man of Rooney, and they, the, the, the talent level dipped a little bit, yep. and I think Rooney kind of felt the pressure. If I had to just read between the lines, I'm guessing – He was probably in a contract year, and if you're in a contract, no coach ever wants to be in a lame duck situation Mm -hmm. in a contract year, especially if you don't know if you have a good material. And you know, going into next season, a lot of his recruits uh, signed in Major League Baseball draft, so there's questions how good this team would have even been next year after a bad year this season. So I think he saw an opportunity at Alabama in a conference in the SEC that pays very well. Even their assistants get paid very well. And, mm-hmm. hey, let's just get out of here before they push me out type of situation. So I think, I think it's probably a, a, a coincidental thing where they're like, look, Terry, if you want to look for some other job, we're not going to stop you. <laughs> right. I think it's a positive for all parties, to be honest. And, you know, Greg Lovelady, as I mentioned, was a former catcher at Miami 99 and 01, was a bit of an assistant there as well under Jim Morris. Uh, interesting, funny note. He also was coached by Mark Kingston. Mark Kingston is the head coach at South Florida. Obviously, was an assistant under Jim Morris. So uh, it's interesting that USF and UCF going under the Jim Morris tree. You mentioned the Wright State. He did very well there. Got to the regional final this past season, losing to Louisville. Uh, So I think he knows what he's doing. And, you know, to me, look, the baseball expectations are what they are. I mean, they have only made it to the NCAA tournament, Jeff, twice since 2005 that is amazing considering 
uh, the, the history of this baseball program. So they're in a bit of a drought, and I think they hope that Lovelady can kind of get it back in the right direction, which is getting back to a regional, which in this state – to me is is the expectations when you have florida and florida state miami hosting regionals you should be able to make a regional with the talent in this state so that's to me the one that i'm looking forward to with love lady i do think there's other issues with the baseball program beyond the coaching situation the last few years i think the facilities as we'll get into down the road has to be addressed there they have to get the money for that because you know everybody's spending money now in college baseball and softball for that matter so that's something that UCF baseball has to address. As far as Johnny Dawkins, that's the other move. The thing I'm excited about that, Jeff, is not only they hired brought in Johnny Dawkins, but even Danny White acknowledged this. They're going to invest in the basketball program. UCF basketball, you believe this, didn't have their own flights. They had to fly commercial in yeah. the conference. You can, that just doesn't work. Uh, that you have to f- fly charter in basketball. I mean, of that's a big. We're, of course, we're like, oh, heaven forbid, they have to fly with all of us plebeians you know what i mean but but yeah when when you're talking about okay a college athletic program you know in the american athletic conference you know teams teams fly charter and uh and ucf wasn't doing that and you know that that's you know even more so it's 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 a recruiting thing in a way you know hey are you investing in your basketball program the answer to that point was no and look that is a huge big deal i mean i've traveled with softball i've traveled commercial it is, there are difficulties traveling commercial because things get delayed. Flights get delayed. Um, bags get lost. Bags get lost. I mean, I think there is, and there's been examples with basketball. I think uh, one of the uh, examples last year was, I think they played like a late Thursday night. They played a Sunday game in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I've been to twice. Not the easiest of places to get to. It's a lengthy flight. They had a Sunday game there got done they flew out i think was monday morning i want to say because i don't think they could get a flight sunday night again when you're commercial you're at the mercy of the schedule get back monday got to practice tuesday you got a game going on tuesday wednesday i mean that's a quick turnaround i mean that does affect whereas charter you can control when you get back and so forth like football so i think that's the biggest thing you know i think johnny dawkins uh has will bring a lot of notice to the ucf basketball program because of who he is he was a great player at Duke, an assistant under Mike Krzyzewski at Duke as well. Uh, Some people would kind of nitpick his success at Stanford. I would also point out that that is not an easy place to win. Mike Montgomery is really the only one that's won there consistently for a lengthy period of time. Um, And by the way, we would take, we would take the six, the, what Johnny Dawkins did at Stanford. If I tell you this, Jeff, He's going to take UCF to a couple of NIT championships, let's say, and an NCAA tournament Sweet 16. Would you take it? Of course I would take it. <laughs> I, would I? We, so, we, we, yeah, because we grew up in the Atlantic Sundays. So, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to see what he will do for the men's basketball program. Uh, I'm excited. And I think he's going to be a great representation to uh, this university on and off the court. And, and unfortunately, look, there are, are going to be growing pains the first year, no question. But I think in the long vision, he'll do a lot of success for this program. And then you mentioned Coach Abe at women's basketball. Uh, the only thing I'll say about that is Florida, Florida State, Miami, and USF all made the NCAA tournament in women's basketball last year. So <laughs> that, that's the goal. You know, I guess that's the goal that they, they want for women's basketball, and uh, we'll see how she does couple interesting points I wanted to point out on the basketball um, on the basketball programs and you mentioned Danny White investing in men's basketball 
basketball is Danny White's baby because he played basketball yep. at Notre Dame, and he comes from a basketball family, and his dad is the AD at Duke with Coach K. That's with, that's the connection with Johnny Dawkins. Uh, you better believe there's going to be a serious investment in basketball. And uh, I did want to give one quick shout-out to a couple of people who joined the basketball staff. You mentioned um, Greg Lovelady being a player at Miami. Uh, UCF did hire Johnny Dawkins, uh, hired uh, one assistant for his basketball team that also played for Miami under Leonard Hamilton named Kevin Norris. Um, Growing up in South Florida, I remember Kevin Norris playing. And then on the women's side, Coach Abe, uh, one of her three assistant coaches, should be a very familiar name if you followed women's basketball over time, former UConn great, and if I'm not mistaken, a one-time National Player of the Year, Nikisha Sales is on the UCF uh, women's basketball staff. So it is. Some yep. talented yep. staffs coming coming down here to UCF. It is, and uh, so it's going to be interesting. Look, John Roddick, you mentioned the tennis coach. That's a huge story that I am oh, looking yeah. forward to, uh, and I'm looking forward, and this is the thing I'm excited about uh, going in this adventure with you is – we're going to get into that stuff a lot more. I think the rest of the media is kind of, oh, well, it's college tennis. You know, what? You know, this is a bigger deal than I don't think – than a lot of people uh, really can, can comprehend. And I'm not even talking about the UCF tennis. I'm, this goes beyond UCF tennis. This goes into the USTA, which is the United States Tennis Association, uh, that, that where UCF tennis is going to call their home now. They're going to be playing – in the in a brand new facility, yeah, the USTA uh, training facility down in Lake yeah. Nona, which is opening up, right, no and longer, no longer playing on the rec courts next to the pool over by the rec center. They got some serious <laughs> tennis facilities now. It's ah, a little it, bit of a drive, but yeah, this is a this is a serious investment in UCF tennis. Huge, huge. I mean, John Roddick. Uh, look, and we're we're both we're fortunate in that uh, we have mutual friend that is works in college tennis so this is where the information is coming from but uh john roddick was a guy that has led oklahoma to the national championship runner-up i mean they've been right there for the national champions one of the top coaches in the country and you don't just get him like ucf spent a lot of money for him and i think the usda was a big part of that this is i mean it'd be the equivalent of like getting a one of the top college football can you imagine like if an urban meyer came to like a UCF for football. I mean, that's how big this thing is. And I think there's a business side of this that could help the community a lot because I think the USTA has big plans. I think you're going to see the NCAA tournament in Orlando become a big factor there hosting. I would not be surprised if the ATP tour, which is the men's tennis tour and professional tennis or the WTA, the women's tennis, if they start maybe having an event in Orlando. So this is a fascinating project that as we get closer to that, I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of uh, looking into and, and hopefully get a chance to talk to Coach Roddick about it down the road because I don't think – again, I think people have kind of – well, it's college tennis, and I get it. Nobody really cares about college tennis in the big picture of things, but – We're going to start I think you caring s- about college tennis around well, here. Well, look, and, and, and this is the thing. I mean, uh, UCF's going to be a player now in tennis, in both the men's and women's tennis – Going back to what we talked about, Danny White wants his programs to be top 25. And uh, you, I, I'm going to defer to you because you spent a lot of time, as you mentioned, with your in UCF. You know, tennis has always been interesting to me of uh, the lack of success with tennis. You know, Florida has been successful. I mean, it's a great state, great weather. Um, you know, you Bobby Cashman was there for a long time. But really, there were probably not a lot of finances backing it up. But it's fascinating that tennis – 
of all the sports, really, doesn't make the NCAA tournament. Doesn't have a history of making the NCAA tournament often at all. Like, you know, golf has made it. Every sport. Tennis has just never always been lacking. Well, the hire of John Roddick, as, as I mentioned when it came down, it wasn't just, you know, and as much as I loved Bobby Cashman and Stephanie Nikitas, the two head coaches for tennis at UCF, um, you know, they'd been there for a while. I think that they kind of maxed things out. Um, they couldn't, given what was invested in their programs, they couldn't go any higher than where they were. Uh, John Roddick comes in, and his hiring is not, to me, was not a bid for national relevance. It was a bid for national prominence in tennis. And uh, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't wait to get, uh, to get Coach Roddick on the phone. Um, in a later episode of our podcast to talk about his vision for what UCF tennis uh, is going to be. Speaking of visions of UCF athletics and what it's going to be, um, let's talk about our other story coming out of the summer uh, that was the, um, that's just, this story just won't die and it just drives me and other media members absolutely crazy because fans just eat this stuff up and it's the talk about the Big 12. So, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, the Big 12, back in their uh, conference meetings actually a few months ago, it didn't look like they were going to expand. The Big 12, of course, has 10 teams in it. Um, they didn't have a conference championship game. They, they all of a sudden decided to stage a conference championship game with the two largest um, or with the two best teams in it out of their 10-team league. Okay, they got NCAA approval from it, uh, you know, to stage a championship game with less than 12 teams, whatever. Didn't think that they were going to expand. At the latest conference meeting, all of a sudden, the uh, commissioner of the Big 12, Bob Bowlesby, with uh, Oklahoma president Dr. David Bourne alongside him, comes out and says that he get he got the okay from the uh, college presidents who are in the Big 12 to begin an exploration, essentially, of candidates for possible expansion. So how does this get interpreted? Of course, it gets interpreted exactly the way you think. Suddenly, it's being played out in the media that this is a bona fide guarantee. Big 12 is expanding. The only question is who and by how many? Well, a couple of people, including the president of Iowa State, of all people, said, hey, uh, slow your roll there a little bit. We haven't decided to expand. We're just going to sort of dangle our feet a little bit into the water and see what and, and see what comes out. Uh, and then this was the big story that um, happened over the past week. John um, Auran um, and uh, Michael Smith of Sports Business Journal uh, put out a piece that said that uh, the Big 12's TV partners, Fox and ESPN, were really not happy with the fact that the Big 12 was thinking of expanding because they were calling it basically a naked cash grab, which it was because the conference shares of revenue are uh, you're not they're not going to divide the pie from 10 pieces to 12 or 14. The whatever two or four extra teams they're going to get an equal share, or they're going to eventually build up to an equal share of whatever everyone else is making off the TV revenue according to the contract. So. What does this mean for UCF? Well, UCF obviously is in the thick of the expansion speculation, but I keep telling everybody, those who speak don't know, and those who know don't speak. 
And uh, there's a tentative timetable, which the Big 12 doesn't give two craps about timetables that eventually we'll find out uh, how many and who before the beginning of football season, which is now um, less than a month away. And this story just won't die, and it's driving me crazy. Lopez, please talk me off the edge. Uh, well, I mean, I've not been thrilled about it either because, I mean, the narrative changes and I've been very consistent with this. And so it drives me nuts because I feel like I've been very repetitive on this. Um, they, they are going to expand. I think what happened was they were not going to expand for another year or two, probably. But what happened was the ACC came out with, hey, we're going to have a network. By 2019. Right, and the Big ESPN 12 is going to be basically producing it. Sure. And I think that set off the Big 12 because they're like, wait a minute. When we spoke to you guys, ESPN, you said there was no money for a big ne- uh, for a network with all the cost cutting with the cords being cut and cable and stuff like that. So what's going on? And I think there was some of the schools, they were agitated. And I think they decided, you know what? Let's expand because there's a clause in the contract that, hey, if we expand, they got to pay us more money. So I think that's where it is. And I've said this for the last three years. The hardest thing for this Big 12 is not to agree to expand. I mean, anybody can agree to expand. It's agreeing on who to expand with. And I think that's still the biggest question as we move forward with this is, A, do they expand at all? Can they agree on who to expand with and how many? Are they going to expand with two? Are they going to expand with four? Are they going to expand with two football-only schools? Is it going to be one football-only school? Is it going to be zero football-only schools? Is it going to be four? You know, there, there's a lot of minutia in this situation, but it all becomes politics. And it all comes down to what does Oklahoma and Texas want? What do they agree with? Uh, I'm in the belief that the Big 12 is on borrowed time. Uh, as you can see, I don't think they're well run of a conference. I think there's dysfunction there, and I think when we go into – when all the TV contracts are up in 2024 and 2025, I think the Big 12 is going to get plucked away. Eventually, we're going to, I think, headed to a Super 16 team for Super Conferences. I mean, the Big 12 may exist in some form, but it won't be, I think, with with Oklahoma or Texas. But that being said um, – you know, we'll see what they decide here. I think they will come out with something in the next couple of weeks prior to the football season. I am fascinated to see what they decide to do. I mean, I have talked to a bunch of people in the Southwest, uh, in Texas and in Oklahoma and states and people that have connections within Big 12 schools. So I've kind of have an idea of what is going on. But that being said, we were here six years ago or five years ago, whatever it was, when Texas had agreed to join the Pac-12 and four teams from the Big 8 or Big 12 at the time, was going to go to the Pac-12, and then the, they decided, yeah, we're going to stick around. ESPN just offered us a network, so we're going to stay. And so keep that in mind when you read all this nonsense stuff because things could change at the last hour. Um, I've tried to, on the radio platforms I've been, to tell UCF, hey, let's be cautious about this. Don't get your hopes up and assume that you're getting in or any of that stuff. I think UCF's been an underdog in this uh, from the beginning and there's things going against them. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Houston has politics, as I said, would get involved. The Texas politics are in full motion in, in that situation. Yeah, Texas and Texas Tech actually came out. The presidents of both yeah. those universities actually came out publicly and said that they support uh, that they support Houston being added to the Big 12. 
No question about that. And I said that would happen three years ago when people were scoffing me like, well, the Texas schools would block it. And now that the other people, their negatives are going to say, well, but the non-Texas schools really uh, are going to block them. And I'm like, no, there's only a couple schools that are against this because politics does play a role. The government in the state of Texas, which got Baylor into the Big 12 way back when, uh, they forced their hand on this. That's why you saw Texas kind of backpedal. Texas and Houston have been negotiating about some property and universities expanding to the city of Houston. Uh, so there's some back stuff going on. And the thing that doesn't get reported enough, the Texas high school football coaches, which is a very tight group, also has put pressure on this because the last thing you want to do if you're a college coach and you recruit in Texas is to alienate the high school coaches in Texas. It's right there with Florida is the best state for recruiting. So if you're Oklahoma and Oklahoma state in particular, who recruits a lot in Texas, the last thing you want to know is that word gets out that, Hey, my gun, the Oklahoma state blocked Houston from getting in. Oh, really? Well, guess what? We're going to tell our kids to not go to Oklahoma state. And now you're going to get cut off. And that'll have a rippling effect. Um, I also think there's a misconception. I think a lot of people have said that the Big 12 has the Houston market. That's not accurate. Uh, If you follow the television ratings in Houston, and I've made some calls and know people that that worked in television in Houston, LSU and Texas A and M, yeah, and it, it, it have actually taken over that market. It, if you and if you follow college football in recent years, those teams have played games in Houston. That's not an accident. Both have a lot of alumni in Houston, and the SEC network is in Houston. I know this because that's in my hotel when I've traveled with softball. Um, the Big Twelve is actually, you would argue, is losing that market. Television ratings, LSU and A and M are beating Texas and the Big Twelve in that market. Houston, with their success last year, had big numbers. I think Tom Herman, if Houston gets in, Tom Herman deserves a lot of credit. He's worked in that city. He's worked. He's gotten a good relationship with the high school coaches, with the people in the area, the people in the state. There's a lot of uh, groundwork there with the University of Houston, which is why I think they will get in eventually. I think the wild card in all this, and I know you're, we both, is BYU. And there's always been this flirtation with BYU and the networks. Will BYU get in as football only? Will they get in at all, or will they get in in all sports? Because I think that's the most, to me, the most interesting thing is how do they get the BYU thing going? Because to me, if they bring them in as all sports, there's a lot of logistic issues there. Yeah, I mean the Sunday the Sunday play thing uh, with BYU, you know, obviously not playing on Sunday for religious reasons is the biggest sticking point, which is why I actually don't think they're going to get into the Big Twelve in any sport. Um, I think they have a I think they've had a pretty nice setup as an independent, and they kind of like being the Mormon Notre Dame, if you will. Uh, you mentioned Tom Herman deserving a lot of credit. If Houston does get in, he's also going to get some credit for that credit because he's got a $5 million yep. clause in his contract where if Houston gets into a big-time conference, they owe him a $5 million check. Um, let me ask you this. At gunpoint, <laughs> how many teams get in and is UCF one of them? Man. Let me just say this. I would not be surprised if they announced they go by two teams for this year, for 2017, and then say, we'll expand in the future two more teams. Like, I could say, like, I think Cincinnati, I'll say this. Uh, if you put a gun to my, I think Cincinnati is the closest thing to a lock because of geography. Even over Houston? Yes, because they will be the travel, they fit as the travel partner with West Virginia. Uh, they're good in football and basketball. Now, there are critics, and I've heard this, that their facilities are not that great. Their fan base is not that great. 
But I feel, but they want to address that whole West Virginia situation, which has been a nightmare for Big Twelve schools in all their sports traveling wise, because no West Virginia is just in the middle of nowhere out in the east there. So they want to get that addressed. And Cincinnati makes a lot of sense. It's the closest thing to West Virginia that they can find. It's, I believe it's something like 500 some miles away. So I think for that reason, I think they get in. The Houston, I'm not going to say it's a lock because things can always happen in the last hour and they get backstabbed and stuff like that. Um, I think it's Cincinnati, Houston. I disagree with you. I do think BYU will get in, uh, but I in, but I think they get in as football only. And I think the reason they get in as football only, part of this is because Big 12 wants to grab as much money as they can. And whoever is going to be the new members are not going to get a big piece of the pie. That's part of the yeah, strategy. They're going to get it phased in just like they did with TCU sure. and West Virginia when they joined. But but even fa- with even less money because they there's no, you know, the, the the schools that are coming in have no leverage. Uh, I do think BYU will get in because I think television wants it. And, and from what I've been told, Oklahoma wants BYU in and the appeal that they have. So I think they get in, but it's football only. Uh, but I'll say this. If BYU gets in for all sports, you think I'm going to be crazy on this. Watch out for Colorado State. And let me give you a name, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, that's interesting. Let me give you a name. Joe Parker. Nobody in this audience right now that's listening knows who Joe Parker is. Joe Parker is the athletic director at Colorado State. You know where he worked prior to Colorado State? Probably in the state of Texas. Correct. To be specific, two schools in Texas. One is Texas Tech. The other one was at Texas. Oh, by the way, he also worked at Oklahoma. And as recent as in the last decade. So in other words, nobody in this process that's as far as the schools that are plotting or trying to get into the Big 12 probably knows better what that conference is thinking and more specifically what Texas and Oklahoma is thinking and want to do than Joe Parker. Uh, He's been at all the big places. They just built this over $200 million football stadium that's going to open in 2017. If you know history, the Big 12 has history with the state of Colorado, with the Buffaloes being in there. Uh, Fort Collins is about an hour away from Denver. Uh, they've Many Big 12 schools have done that trip. And more and specifically – People forget that that Colorado State program has been quite successful for a while. Going back to Sonny Lubick, the uh, yeah. old head coach there, that's a pretty good program that they have over there, kind of a – Kind of like a UCF of the West of of the Mountain West, if you will. Yeah, I mean they haven't had the success. You know they've been shadowed by Boise State. Boise State, throw them out. They're, no shot, no shot. I mean it doesn't. I think that's more of media creation. Um, but again, Colorado State, if they decide to go BYU all sports, Colorado State would make sense from a travel partner standpoint. From Denver to uh, to Provo is very doable. It's an easy flight from Denver to Salt Lake. So. Keep that in mind as an upset pick. You know, if, if three weeks from now, like, whoa, where did that come from? That's where it comes from. I, uh, just as an underdog, if, if we had odds and I would get make odds, that's not a terrible odd. It'd probably be a long shot there. But, um, you know, I think Connecticut's interesting. I think that's a bipolar situation. It's very difficult to get to Colorado, but they're a brand because of their basketball. That could go either way. You know, I think for UCF standpoint, you know, a couple of problems they have is they don't really have a travel partner in all of this. And, even, you know, what they're going to have to sell is the fact that anybody can get to Orlando and fly and in and out. But the problem is this conference is not in the East Coast. You know, like if, if the Big 12 would have had Louisville, for example, instead of West Virginia, that's a little more further south. I think that would be more in play for UCF. Uh, if a Memphis, for example, or a USF was involved, they could partner with them and get in. Um, but... 
I don't think that's the case they're going with. And, and I've traveled, and part of the other issue is identity. People still don't know who UCF to the casual person. A lot of people, I get, I, I get this all the time when I've traveled with uh, softball and other stuff. Hey, uh, UCF, where is that at again? What, you said, what, Florida? You guys are Florida? What does that UCF stand for? Uh, that's why I've always been, I, I laugh when some people get upset because they refer, oh, they refer to us as Central Florida. I'm like, I'm just glad they know where people know where Central Florida is. I only get agitated when people confuse UCF and USF. All right. Yeah. So, is that uh, the school I, over by Disney? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, I just think there's a lot of options. Look, I mean, going on in 12, uh, and it's what have you come, what have you done for me lately? Unfortunately, fair or not, that from an image, from a perception standpoint, is what some people are thinking because that's the first thing that gets brought up. Well, well you know, it, yeah, publicly, yes, but but the guys who are making the decisions sure, on this are the school sure. presidents, and they don't make decisions based on how your football team did last year. Um, no, but because, I mean, but, because that can go up and down. I mean, look, but, Texas but, right now is down. What are they? Are they going to get sure. kicked out of the Big Twelve? Of course not. No, but there is a PR standpoint to this, and you know this, Jeff. I mean, they want to make a splash, and the last thing they want to do is bring in a bunch of schools, and people are like, "Why did you bring that school in?" I mean, that school just went zero and twelve. I mean, it's silly, but there is a factor into this. At the end of the day, I think they'll eventually go to four, and I think Cincinnati will be in. I think Houston will be in. I think BYU is going to be in football only, and I just – I think it's going to be Connecticut just because of the – Connecticut, wow. And, you, really? and, and this is why. And this is why. And it's silly, and you're going to rip it, and I'm going to rip it. What is the – these schools always have this fascination with the Northeast. It's kind of like when the Big Ten oh, went to goodness. grab Rutgers. Oh, Rutgers, Piscataway. Yeah, it's close to New York. And you know this better than anybody. You went to school at Syracuse. Nobody cares about college football in the Northeast. But yet, these conferences always are obsessed with that market. They feel they can tap into it. And I just have a feeling that the Big 12 is going to reach and go for Connecticut on that. I'm not saying – and again, let me just paraphrase. I don't agree with this direction. I'm just telling you what I think will happen. If it was up to me, I would go UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and Memphis even. Uh, but I don't think they're not going to do that. So I just have this feeling, Jeff, you know this, the Big Ten did this with Rutgers, which is about as pointless of a move as it gets, except they just wanted it because they want to have an excuse to put the Big Ten network in the Northeast. Uh, I think the Big 12 is going to do something similar to that with Connecticut. I just have a feeling. I, if you're holding me at gunpoint, I think they go with, I think they're 50-50 right now on going with two or not expanding at all. Um, I say they're going to add two. I think it's going to be Houston and Cincinnati, and I think we get frozen out of it. Now, that's not what I want to happen. Now, all these, I, I apparently have developed a reputation over the years of being, uh, of, of you know, poo-pooing UCF in the Big 12, which is not true. I really want UCF to be in a Power 5 conference because UCF deserves to be in a Power 5 conference. But it's not UCF's call. And there's really nothing that UCF can do actually, you know, on the field, on the court that can really affect it. Now, we have the media market thing going for us, but there's no network for the Big 12. Um, recruit, they say, oh, well, you have that Florida recruiting base. Well, Charlie Strong is the head coach of Texas. He recruits Florida. Bob Stoops is head coach of Oklahoma. He recruits Florida. Um, you know, it's, it's not like the schools in the Big 12 – 
right. have not discovered the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah, this just I, everybody recruits in the state of Florida. They're right. right. That, that, right. I, I do agree, and I'm glad you brought it up. I, there's some of the some of the thoughts that have been brought up. Oh, well, this is why you need to bring UCF. Hey, it's a pipe. It's into tap into Florida. Everybody recruits everybody in Florida. Recruits if anything, Florida. if anything, if you're Oklahoma and Texas, and this is probably one of the reasons they don't want UCF in. Right. The last right. thing you want is for Iowa State to have an excuse to get in the door in Florida. Oklahoma and Texas doesn't need UCF in the conference to get to recruit in Florida. It's the Iowa States of the world that need UCF in the conference so they have an excuse to go to Florida so they can tell their kid, hey, we're going to play UCF every other year or whatever. So we can come to Florida and come here, and you'll still visit Florida, right. Oklahoma, and Texas. Those power schools don't need. That's an overrated uh, uh, logic of, uh, of a reason to have a team in. I agree. Yeah, you're right. I really want UCF to get into the Big Twelve. I just I've been disappointed by this before. We saw what happened with the Big East after we fought for a decade to try and get into that conference. Um, I, if I were king of the world, I would force UCF and USF into the Big 12 along with Cincinnati and Houston, but uh, I haven't gotten my campaign going yet. Um, I really hope we get in. It's just something that we're going to have to follow. And then all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the, we're going to see white smoke coming out of the chimney, and we're going to find out, hopefully in the next few weeks. I just wouldn't be surprised if they decided, no, we're not going to expand at sure. all. And uh, and stand pat, and and then they've played us all for fools just so that they could get um, s- some extra attention during the off season, as I feel that they really enjoy sure. doing. So, no, I I agree with that. Now, let, if they do expand, you're saying they're just going to expand to two, or are you saying they're going to expand to two for now? If you hold me at gunpoint, I say that they expand to two, and then that's it. All right, I'll disagree on that. I mean, they might just announce to expand by two now, but then I think they would add two next year or two years from now. But you're right. Look, I with, hope when you're, you're right. Cl- I really hope you're right. And, and if you're UCF, you need it to be four. Yeah, I, I don't. There's, I, I would be stunned if UCF got in as you know one of two options only. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I said, uh, and with these people in charge, you just you know you just never know. That's why I don't feel comfortable making proclamations from that standpoint because these people can change on a dime, and uh, you know there's going to be a lot of negotiations and. You know, I think what you're going to see is kind of like in politics. Hey, hey, we'll let this school in, but you got to let that school in, and we'll give you these votes and stuff like that in the background. Keep this in mind. Houston plays Oklahoma the first weekend of the season in Houston at Reliant. David Bourne, who's a big part of this, the president of Oklahoma, and the soon, you know, they're all going to be in Houston. Do you really think they're going to block Houston <laughs> as they're going to make their ways to Houston, Texas for that game? <laughs> right. They- I, I don't think so, and I think that's – it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with an announcement. If they come out with an announcement before that game, I think it tells you that Houston will get in, and I could see them making a big celebration yeah. about Houston Oklahoma. Hey, you're going to be our future partner. So, hey, if Houston beats Oklahoma, it doesn't matter because you'll be in our conference next year. You know, those, like those who speak don't know, and those who know right. don't speak. So. Right, there is so a positive, though. There is one positive of this. If we UCF does get into the Big 12, uh, UCF softball now has connections to the Big 12 as far as recruiting with a new assistant coach. So there's that. that works, we got yeah. that going for you. Yeah, right? with Corey Hall coming over from Texas. Corey right? Hill. Cor- Corey name. Hill. Yeah, Corey yeah Hill. you can check out the details on the site uh, of the hire there by uh, Coach Gillespie. Another thing that just happened this week, uh, former assistant at Texas. So right. that's a pretty big thing about that, Jeff. We're at the point now in the program where they're hiring coaches that coach in the Power Five and has been to the Women's College World we are, Series. We are poaching Texas 
for assistant coaches. It's great. That's correct. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's wild. It's wild. But, cool, you know, it should set up an interesting time. All right, brother. Well, that's going to do it for our first show here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. A reminder, uh, once again, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and also on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play, whatever your preference for a podcast platform. Uh, we are available on those, again, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Leave us a rating. Send us uh, send us a message. Let us know what you think. And, uh, hey, yeah, like I said, share the podcast, listen to it, and share it with your UCF friends, um, as always. Eric Lopez, always fun to talk to you, brother. How can people reach you? Reach me on Twitter, Eric Lopez Elo, and uh, you can tune in on 1080 on weekdays. I'll be on. I'm on producing Tuck and O'Neill. It's on usually three to seven, uh, and that'll be fun. And I'll have other activities I'll be doing. You can follow me on Twitter for all the details on that. Indeed, and you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, uh, where I will be posting all kinds of stuff coming up. I'm going to be doing some. I got a couple things coming down the pike that'll be fun as we uh, head down toward as we get ready for the fall. Man, it's uh, this, we're recording this on Thursday, August 4th, and uh, wow, the UCF athletic season is right around the corner. So, Eric, good talking to you, brother. Always a pleasure, Jeffrey. And thanks to you for listening on our first episode here of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, don't forget, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us, and we will catch you next week. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Podcast.